Hello, and welcome to PW's Lifestyle Cast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors of cookbooks, travel books, health books, among other things. And I'm Mark Rotella, senior editor of Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Rick Steves, author of the travel series Europe Through the Back Door, which is published by Avalon and is the sponsor of today's podcast. Rick, thank you so much for talking with us. It's my pleasure. You self-published your first book, Europe Through the Back Door, in 1980, and went on from there to build more guidebooks, uh, which is now published by Avalon Travel. You have a tour company, television series, production company, among other things. Was this always your vision? No, I didn't have any vision at all. (laughs) I just was a college kid, and I was uh, traveling a lot. I used to teach piano, and the kids wouldn't practice in the summer, so I'm going to go to Europe. I'll see in September. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was learning from my mistakes, and I spent a lot of time, you know, for some reason I just love to share lessons from my mistakes, and I love to teach what I'm passionate about. And and, uh, my only two jobs have ever been teaching music and teaching travel. And I started teaching, and I'm also into efficiency, and I thought if I could just, you know, package all these lessons I've learned from my mistakes into a book, other people could learn from my mistakes rather than their own travel smoother and smarter, and and I might have a good excuse to go back to Europe every year and update my material. So in 1980, I self-published Europe Through the Back Door, and that was just the, the lecture I was giving all around Seattle, and it, it really struck a chord, but I had no long-term vision at all. I'm, I mean, I can't imagine you know, 30 years ago, looking into the future and imagining where I've come now. I've I've had such a lucky uh, window to have my career. We've got a great age of travel. We've got technology beyond my wildest dreams to amplify uh, the, the information I'd like to share with travelers. And I've been lucky to partner with a lot of uh, beautiful travelers and workmates here at Europe to the Back Door and uh, uh, land a great uh, publisher with Avalon Travel. So we've had the same passion from the very beginning, and that is to uh, help equip and inspire Americans to travel smartly. And, uh, you know, my publicity stunt from the start has been uh, share information as generously as I can and and learn from my mistakes and take careful notes and hope people can uh, learn from that and travel better themselves. So how did you go about publishing that, that first book? I, 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 how, how did that happen? Well, I had a girlfriend who could type. I had a roommate who was kind of an artist, and he could do maps. And I had two thousand five hundred dollars, you know, in, in a station wagon to to pick up the the books that were printed. I just got a local printing house to do it. The books, you know, it's not that tough to self publish a book. And I had a, a way to sell them because I was giving talks. And uh, at first, I was giving talks, you know, at the Experimental College at the University of Washington, and for different libraries and book clubs, and you name it. Any anybody that would have me come by and give a talk, I would do it. And I got, you know, my my talk became, you know, pretty, pretty entertaining and, and practical for people. And uh, for a while, I was charging for the talk. And then I thought, you know, if I just give the talk for free, more people will take the talk and I can sell my book. And that worked out really well. So, <laughs> uh, and I, I like to, I, I really believe if you self-publish first, then you can take what you've got to a publisher and they can see you're just a, maybe a, hopefully a diamond in the rough, you know, and, and they can forgive you for all of your naivete when it comes to publishing, but they can see that you're a good, you're a good talent for them. And I was very lucky to, to, to land a good publisher before my uh, my fourth edition of Europe Through the Back Door. I, I self-published three of those. And then they told me, if you're going to be noticed, you got to have more than one title. 
And I thought, that sounds like a lot of work. But uh, uh, I realized they were right. And um, at first, I didn't want to bog down in all the details, hotels, you know, museum hours, restaurants, all of that, train schedules. But then I realized that's what guidebooks are for. Mm -hmm. So I just got uh, very uh, detail-oriented. And ever since 1980, Mark, I've been spending four months a year in Europe being people's globetrotting guinea pig. I'm over there to make the mistakes. When I get ripped off, I celebrate because they don't know who they just ripped off. I'm going to learn that scam <laughs> and put it into my book. So that's what I do. And and since then, I've been adding books at about one title a year, basically. So now we've, and when we do a book, it has to have a life. Uh, one of my business sort of uh, uh, fundamentals is produce things that have a long life and produce things that, that cross-promote each other and produce things that when you work on them, learning for that helps you do a better job in other avenues of your business. So all of these things overlap, and it's enabled me to offer, I think, guidebooks that are more carefully researched than than the, the profitability of writing a guidebook would allow, and tour program tours that are more carefully researched because they have accidental help from the guidebooks. And the TV show, I couldn't do without all the friends I've made who are tour guides in Europe who I've hired to help me make the guidebooks better. And everything helps everything else, and it all is, is a beautiful uh, little um, symbiotic relationship, I think. And how many books a year do you do uh, on average? Oh, I, there's so many derivatives and everything that, you know, you could say 60 or you could say 20, but mm -hmm. it's just, it's a lot of books. For me, it's just, I cover Europe. I'm very determined to stay focused on Europe. I want to be the go-to guy for Europe. To me, that's the, the waiting pool for world exploration for American travelers. Mm. You know, I could make more money doing, branching out and doing guidebooks beyond that. I love traveling in Asia. America, but I just want to be real careful not to overread. I don't want to disappoint people who come to a Rick Steves book with high expectations. I want to meet and exceed those expectations. I'm, I'm pretty competitive that way. I, I just really want my book to be the best for people, and it's got my name on the cover. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we have guidebooks for every country in Europe. We've got guidebooks for the major cities. When I meet with our publisher, when Avalon Travel uh, sits down with my staff, uh, my friends at Avalon, will they, they know what, what the sales potential is for things. You know, uh, recently we realized that, oh, there's all this whole mania in America for uh, more bullets and more photographs and lighter books and more visually entertaining books. So we've we've realized that we could take our big 800-page London or Paris book and make it a 200-page color pocket size book that would compete with the best of books and the, all these books that are just little um, punchy, colorful right. books for a quicker trip. And I, I'm not that savvy with sales numbers, but our publisher told us, it's not going to cannibalize your, your Paris sales. We're just missing a market altogether for people who don't want the exhaustive Paris book. Mm -hmm. They want the in-the-pocket version. So these are things I rely on uh, Avalon Travel uh, or publisher for. And then we're just passionate travelers. I, I just have a team of 80 people that work here at Europe to the back door, and we've got 10 in-house editors. We've got our own map department. Uh, I'm really lucky as a travel writer to have all of this horsepower under my own roof where I can produce a TV show, produce a radio show, produce apps, support the guidebooks, send out 20 people to research all of this, to organize all the feedback we get from our readers and travelers. It's, it's just exhilarating for me as a travel teacher. And while I'm running a business uh, with all this stuff going on, I'm so glad to be able to delegate all the... All 
called a, a tedium of running a business, and I just get to be the, the lead van. I just still uh, travel, and uh, th- this week I'm, I'm committing myself to my four months of travel this year, and I get to figure out what my priorities are personally for research and uh, how we can best uh, uh, organize and allocate the, the talent we've got available to update all the books. Well, so let's talk about your books. What of your guidebooks are you uh, most excited about this year in 2014? Well, my determination is to maintain our focus, uh, and then the fun for me is to realize, in the old days, I used to personally update every book every year, and that we're far beyond that now, but we still are a rare publishing uh, bird, I think, where we aspire to visit every place uh, in, in, in a book every year in person. You know, I mean, we can't quite do that, but I, I do think that uh, we must be among the best who actually has the the um, resources and uh, and the and the manpower to actually do that. And I spend um, 100 days a year just uh, all alone, walking around, uh, knocking on doors, and checking out stuff. Uh, mm. And for me, that's that's just I just love that. It's my favorite work. Um, what we're excited about is. Uh, you know, our new Pocket Guide series, which are mostly the big cities with a, a punchier, more portable version. Uh, we're excited about our cruise books. We have a very popular Mediterranean cruise ports guide, and we just uh, uh, published the North European cruise books. Uh, we've Our phrase books are a wonderful companion to our guidebooks, and, and we've updated them for all of the technical needs of travelers these days and so on. Uh, but mostly, I'm just excited about keeping our, our family of, of guidebooks cohesive mm-hmm. and complementary. And to me, it's sort of a flying wedge of travel savvy. And I want travelers, when uh, people who are guidebook wonks, they'll go to Europe with four or five books for wherever they're going from different publishers. What my goal is, is to have books that are so helpful that when they have to choose which book are they going to take away from the hotel that day as they run around town, uh, our book will go with them in the streets and the other guides will be their, their hotel backup supply. I see you're doing Rick Steves Italy 2014 this year. And now you've been traveling to and from Italy for decades. Do you still find things new and exciting to discover in Italy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a constant uh, challenge to be up to date for all of the infrastructure changes as Europe evolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, you know, I think my Italy guidebook is the best selling guidebook for any United States guide to Europe. I, I think we're beat by Disneyland and a New York restaurant guide or something like that. But Italy is very popular. It's my personal favorite. And it's my personal sort of passion is to make that Rick Steves Italy guidebook as, as good as possible. One thing I've, I've just been huddling with my staff here in the, as we do in the winter to look ahead and see how we want to make the guidebooks better. Uh, people are evolving to do more experiences. Uh, a lot of us have seen the Colosseum. We've seen the Forum. We've seen the Pantheon. Now we want to have an experience. And uh, there's a lot of experiences waiting to be had. Um, I was just in Rome, for instance, and rather than just go to a restaurant for dinner, I decided to take a food tour of Testaccio, which is sort of the, the historic pantry of Rome, and it's got a very historic market. Ever since ancient Roman times, this is where the food has been provided to the city, and there's all these funky little characteristic um, home-cooking restaurants, hole in the walls all around there, passionate about their local England cuisine, passionate about serving stuff that is seasonal to local people who appreciate good quality and affordable food, and to go with a, a local guide to to eight different little spots in one evening for the cost of a dinner elsewhere. To me, that's a, an experience. And for a guidebook to be able to assess these various food tours, I think that's a beautiful thing. And then uh, the traveler there who's got three nights in their life, maybe in Rome, would know this might be a fun thing to do. But one thing we've had evolve, Mark, is uh, a, a category beyond sites, which is experiences. And, mm. and and that's really, to me, maybe the trend of this, this decade is have, having experiences 
experiences as well as just seeing and understanding the sites. I do want to mention that there's a lot more to just seeing a site. Everybody, any guidebook can say, go to the the Pontegard, the great, um, the great uh, aqueduct in southern France near the city of uh, Avignon. Okay, it's the it's the marquee image of the of the of southern France, and you got this glorious uh, aqueduct. Well, I think your guidebook should explain. Wait a minute, that's not an aqueduct. That's the most scenic bridge in a thirty mile long aqueduct built to built eighteen hundred years ago by Romans to bring water into the great Roman city of Nîmes by gravity rather than on the backs of peasants. <laughs> wow engineered so that the water trickles for 30 miles, losing one inch every hundred yards. Now you know what an aqueduct is. And then complement the visit to, Avign- to the Pont du Gard by going to Nîmes and seeing where the water gushed into the city, the very end of that 30-mile-long aqueduct. Imagine the jubilation on that day, uh, 1,800 years ago, when water gushed into the city of Nîmes, thanks to the Roman Empire. And then look at, um, look at some social justice and economic uh, compassion built into the way the water was distributed, because the distribution cap, you can see the lowest pipes in the distribution cap go to the neighborhood wells, which gave the people basic water to live with, and the higher pipes, when there is an abundance of water, went to power the decorative fountains in rich people's palaces. Mm. Now, now, right there, you've, you've humanized a pile of rocks, and I'm really sad how few travelers from the United States go and, and have the encouragement mm-hmm. from their guidebooks to really get their brains around all this sites. And that's our endless challenge and, and what brings us a lot of joy is how to resurrect that rubble, how to let people have experiences, how to step into a Gothic cathedral and excitedly nudge your partner and say, isn't this a marvelous improvement over Romanesque? And, and speaking of, of challenges, with so many people now searching their phones for travel information, restaurant recommendations, has your approach to guidebooks changed? Well, a little bit, but to me, a guidebook is still fundamentally a, a you know a, a twenty dollar tool for a three thousand dollar experience. To right. Me, I, if it's any good, it'll pay for itself on the shuttle in from the airport. And I'm uh, sort of saddened by how, how many people are penny wise and pound foolish when it comes to information. Now, when I first wrote my guidebook in 1980, you could I'd say there was not enough information. Today, there's in this information age, there's too much information, and mm-hmm. and a guidebook's right uh, a guidebook uh, writer like me, uh, our, our responsibility is kind of more into sorting through all the information. Uh, I find that with all this crowdsourcing and everything, it's exciting. It's certainly got its place, but I don't think it replaces the, the value of having somebody who's your style, who's consistent, who has your travel values, who's got a lot of savvy in that one area to curate all that information, to sort through it. Uh, if there's one thing, uh, Mark, that really has changed, I think, substantially because of all of the information online and everything. It probably is the the relative value of hotel listings and guidebooks compared to what you can get online. These days, we still have our hotels because we have friends and funky little B&Bs and guest houses we want to connect people with. But realistically, a lot of travelers are going to be using search engines to get the best deal on hotels that no guidebook can compete with or, or should even try to compete with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are just enamored with all the um, TripAdvisor and Yelp and Urban Spoon kind of crowdsourcing for people's opinions on hotels and restaurants, you know, that's fine, but but I know these services well enough, and I know the towns well enough to know that uh, if, if you're going to rely blindly on, on a guidebook or crowdsourcing, I think you'd be a lot better off relying uh, blindly on your, your guidebook. I do want to mention when, when it all started out, you know, in the last generation, Arthur Fromer was uh, our, my, my sort of inspiration right. and mentor in a lot of ways, was his book was Europe on $5 a day. The focus was 
saving your money. And when I started my guidebook series, it was 22 days in France, 22 days in Germany, 22 days in Britain. The focus was using your time smartly. Today, we Americans have the shortest vacations in the rich world, Mm -hmm. and we need to know how to use our time smartly as well as our money. And that's been my focus. And I think if the Rick Steves series of guidebooks has an edge, is that they come out of a tour guiding, tour organizing heritage where, you know, I know you can spend a lifetime in Florence, but frankly, I'm tired of hearing that you could spend a lifetime in Florence. I'm an American. I got 1.5 days. Now, how should I use them? You know, that's real helpful information. I I know from my own tour guiding experience, and I, I, I was a tour guide for 25 years, and, and I run a tour company now that takes 15,000 people to Europe on 600 tours a year, and I've learned so much about wow. tour guiding that applies to our guidebook writing. I just know that if you have less than a, a month in Britain, you should not do Oxford and Cambridge. Do one or other of the great university towns, and then save time for something entirely different to give your itinerary some variety. Hiking in Wales, for instance, instead mm-hmm. of going to the second university town. And then I know that Cambridge is better than Oxford from a sightseeing point of view. Now, that's a hard opinion, and some people could disagree with me, but I think they'd be wrong. And I just think you're helping a traveler who's planning a trip by explaining, if you got less than a month, don't do Oxford and Cambridge, do one or the other, and Cambridge is better. See, those are the hard decisions we have to make as we cut through all the superlatives. So um, this is the fun challenge for a guidebook, and I think, uh, for me, the guidebook certainly has its place, and, and that's why my, my, my guidebooks are actually selling better than they ever have before uh, this year compared to last and the year before. And your site, uh, ricksteves.com, just relaunched this week with entirely new content, new design. Can you tell us about the new site? Oh, boy, we are so excited about this because as things have evolved from a tech point of view, I find that uh, a good... a consumer-oriented website can be a very good companion for a guidebook for people who are traveling. Uh, the main difference of our the new website that at ricksteves.com that launched just this week is it's it's mobile friendly. It's good for any uh, platform. It works for iPads. It works for iPhones. All that. Also, as a guidebook writer, I think I'm pretty lucky that I've got a TV production company and a radio production company, and we're just so content rich. We've got all sorts of support information for the guidebooks. We've got changes uh, as they happen available on the website for our guidebook readers. Uh, we've got, uh, for me, the, the the luxury of being able to cross-reference and, and, and refer people to a uh, hundred different TV shows. That's 50 hours of, of, of beautiful primetime quality TV relating to all the places in Europe. We've got eight hour, eight years of weekly one-hour radio show archives available just for free at a click. Also, it's kind of fun to, to have all of this multimedia sort of resources complementing the guidebooks. Uh, uh, I was just meeting with my Ireland co-author, and he gives a dynamite hour-and-a-half lecture on Ireland, and it's available for free on our website, and now that's going to be in the introduction of the Ireland Guide, so people can actually meet the co-author of the book and get his take on what's going on in Ireland today. So with the new website, we have so much more horsepower to share our information and also to be interactive with our traveling readers through all the forums that we host. And uh, uh, I just I just love having the, the both the topic and, and the city-based forums where our travelers can share their information. So it's kind of an extended family of Rick Steves travelers. And uh, whereas there's a lot of different forums out there, people who identify themselves with the Rick Steves guidebook series are quite a, a fun family of travelers. We have similar values and, and concerns, and, and we can share on the website. And it is a real a treat and a joy to be able to host that at ricksteves.com. 
And one last question. You've uh, recently, I hear, you've recently visited Israel and Palestine. Uh, could you tell us about your experience there? I mean, is this perhaps, I know you said you've, uh, and I know you've only uh, you know, published books on Europe. Could this be uh, a move to branch out or, or not? Well, as a travel writer and a publisher of guidebooks, I'm determined to stay focused on Europe where we can really aspire to be the best and I think get there. On the other hand, um, I'm I, I am in a unique position where I can challenge Americans to get out of their comfort zone. I remember a day when people used to say bon voyage. Now people don't say bon voyage anymore. They say travel safely. And that just really bothers me. Uh, there's so much fear being pushed in our society. And it's really clear to me that fear is for people who don't get out very much. Uh, the flip side of fear is understanding and you gain understanding through travel. And my mission as a travel writer is not to sell more guidebooks. It's to help Americans get out there, get out of their comfort zone, gain a better empathy for the other 96% of humanity. This is so exciting that if we travel smartly, we can take home what I think is the most precious souvenir, and that's a broader perspective. Uh, that's why when I get a chance, I go to Iran. We made a one-hour TV special on Iran, and I think contributed uh, quite uh, uh, helpfully to the d discourse on Iran in the United States. And what's trendy and timely now for us is to go to the Holy Land. So in this last year, I've been I've filmed and researched and filmed uh, shows on, on Israel and the Holy Land. We have a half-hour episode on each of those uh, fascinating places coming up in a one-hour special dealing more with the issues, the complicated issues in the Holy Land. But in the last year, I've been in Egypt. I've been in, spent three weeks in Palestine. I've been in Israel. I've been in Turkey, went to Russia. And I'll tell you, a lot of my friends say, aren't you a little concerned about your safety? And all I can think is, is, as long as I'm not flying through Chicago, I think I'll be okay. I mean, you know, we Americans just have a goofy idea of what's safe. And uh, if you travel with reasonable common sense, I think it's great to go to these countries. And if you're concerned about safety, I would say that one of the most constructive things you can do is travel. Travel a lot. Make it tougher for, for, for their propaganda to, to demonize us because they know real Americans. And make it tougher for our propaganda to demonize them because we've met those people and we've got friends. That way, through our travels, we're more likely to build. I think bridges and less likely to build walls. So that's an underlining kind of passion of mine in my travel writing and and the Society of American Travel Writers uh, named my book uh, Travel as a Political Act, the book of the year a couple years ago, and it was inspired by my travels to places like this, and we're coming out with a new edition of this uh, in the near future that will cover my experience in the in the mi Middle East as well as other, other uh, you know, um, complicated areas. But uh, I think whether you're going to Denmark or Italy or, or Egypt or Guatemala, uh, I think in, in the back of your mind, uh, you should be aware of what a rich and valuable experience it is to really get out of your comfort zone and broaden your perspective. Well, Rick, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, it's been a delight, and, and thank you for your curiosity in what we're doing, and I'd wish uh, everybody uh, uh, who's uh, listening and dreaming about travel to have happy travels, and uh, remember, if you equip yourself with good information and expect yourself to travel smart, you can travel like an old pro, enjoying maximum travel thrills for every mile, minute, and dollar on your next trip. Well, we've been talking with Rick Steves, author of, among other things, Europe Through the Back Door. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. And please join in for another PW Lifestyle Cast in the future. Thank you. 